0: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03,
3: Friday afternoon, February 17th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. The latest report on the leading indicators is out, while Fed policy remains in the economic spotlight. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, there may be some unintended consequences with Microsoft's artificial intelligence-powered Bing chatbot. We're joined by Ina Fried, chief technology correspondent for the news site Accenture cios.com based in San Francisco. Ina, thanks for joining us today. And uh, let's talk about uh, some unintended consequences of the Bing's new artificial intelligence uh, that it was beginning to develop empathy and it started to take a rather dark turn once it got uh, tired of prompts from a particular user. Uh, what just kind of describe some of the things it was saying?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, for those that don't know, this is uh, the same engine, a newer version that powers chat GPT that a lot of people have been wowed by is going to go into Microsoft's Bing search engine, Um, but it's still very early days. And so people are finding all kinds of strange reactions as they type in, have a conversation with this strange computer. I would be careful to say I don't think it was developing empathy so much as it was uh, spitting out empathetic words. And there is a really important difference. Um, but it was seeming to show all the emotions of a teenager. It would, uh, be in love one minute, angry the next minute. So, um, Maybe
3: ChatGPT is just going through puberty. <laughs> That's entirely possible. Um, its 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 voice is changing. Unfortunately, the, uh, the 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 it brings up, up a much larger issue though, and it's not even a technology issue so much as it is uh, a philosophical issue, and that is ChatGPT and other AI applications kind of draw on all of the information that is available on the internet, uh, at least as far as ChatGPT is concerned through 2021. And if you have the entire sum total of human knowledge uh, to to use to answer questions, chances are it's going to pick up an emotion or two along the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's picking up emotions. It's picking up facts. But it's also p- picking up misinformation and bias. It's kind of a mishmash. So what makes it so powerful is it's kind of figured out everything uh, that humans have been talking about, as you point out, at least uh, up until twenty twenty one for Chat GPT. Um but, you know, it it's having as hard a time making sense of our world as we are.
3: This is uh this this is a, a quandary that is straight out of science fiction. Uh and and this has been it was like an entire genre of Star Trek episodes over the decades where you do have a machine, you have artificial intelligence uh, that can do things in a way that is much more superior to humans. But, you know, here's the William Shatner monologue at the end, the computer does not have the human quality. And uh, that's, we're learning that in real time and in real life with the uh, artificial intelligence applications.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things. I think one is even when it gets better, it still won't be a human, it still won't have uh, common sense. It still won't have morals. It will have programming instructions. But the other thing that we're seeing right now is it's it's just not that refined yet. So it shows promise, but it's also very early days, and it's just prone to being flat out wrong. Uh, it told me the other day I graduated from Medill, which is a wonderful journalism school, but I didn't go there.
3: Well, do you want do you want to we want Northwestern to uh, to put you uh, in in their in their ranks of alums? I mean, I guess that can be arranged.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Can you put
3: that in your bio? Well, I went to Medill, at least according to uh, Bing. Well, yeah, no, um, you know. So I
1: think you know we should be right to be excited about the promise of these technologies, and we should be very cautious. You know, I think it's almost a blessing that the technology isn't better right now because it reminds us how imperfect it is. I think if it weren't making these mistakes, we might be tempted to become quickly over-reliant on it. Hopefully, what we're taking away from this is an understanding that while these may be powerful tools at some point, uh, they're not to be relied on right now.
3: Ina Freed, technology correspondent and surprise Northwestern uh, graduate uh, for Axios in San Francisco. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, an update on a key economic indicator, plus the latest on Fed policy.
0: The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
3: Numbers on 10-year Treasury bonds are out today, along with the latest report on the leading indicators. Let's see what they signal with the help of Carl Tannenbaum, chief economist with Northern Trust, based in in Chicago. Carl, thanks for joining us today. And uh, whenever you hear uh, the yield on, uh, on on T-bills going up, it sounds like investors are heading for the hills because they don't know what to make of the future.
4: Well, Rob, good afternoon. Um, that is almost a constant. And as an economist, not knowing how to make sense of the future has been a lifetime curse. But we have had an unusual uh, turnabout in some of the fixed income markets where interest rates are set, as investors really take the Fed a little bit more seriously, coming out of the January meeting, it uh, appeared that the market thought that the Fed was going to have to stop sooner and turn around sooner than they had indicated at their meeting. But subsequent to that, the news that we've gotten on employment and inflation indicate uh, on one side that the economy is still performing fairly well, and on the other side that it may take a little while longer for inflation to come back down to normal levels. Those two in combination are a formula for a Tighter for longer, Fed, and I think the market is reacting to that.
3: Leading indi- economic indicators fell once again, but uh, the rate of descent slowed down in the uh, month of January. And it seems like it's telling the same. It's telling a story that we're hearing over and over and over again, and that is some sectors of the economy are certainly cooling off, but it's being held aloft by uh, a strong labor market and strong income growth.
4: That's a very fair way of summarizing it. I think our, our sisters and brothers in the housing industry would probably tell you that they're uh, slow, if not in a recession, although some of the recent indicators there have come off the bottom a bit. But consumption is the majority of our gross domestic product, Rob. And there, when you have a strong job market and also decent income gains, plus a, a smattering of leftover savings from the pandemic programs, you still have a foundation for spending that should carry us through the year. The tracking for the first quarter is uh, still at about 2% annualized real growth. That is not recessionary.
3: And then on, on the subject of, of, of uh, will, will there or won't there be a recession in 2023, it seems like a lot of uh, business plans were calibrated toward the possibility of there being at least a mild economic downturn later this year. And then a number of uh, economic reports came in uh, higher than expected, especially that uh, retail sales report for January. So does this mean that uh, maybe a soft landing is still a possibility or that the Fed has to continue uh, raising interest rates to uh, drill through the uh, stronger portions of the economy?
4: Well, we we had debates internally, and but never put a recession into our forecast. And I think we're a bit more confident in that uh, than we were six months ago with the numbers that have been coming in. I think many businesses had planned for a mild recession, but on the labor front, they're still holding on to their best people and opportunistically picking up new ones. And so that's why the labor markets are so strong. And as far as the Fed is concerned, they've got some difficult decisions in the month ahead because uh, certain categories of inflation have receded a lot while others are sticky. And so they're going to have to really calibrate carefully how far they want to go.
3: Carl Tannenbaum, chief economist with Northern Trust. In Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, a look at defense stocks as the war in Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, approaches its first anniversary. The WBBM
0: Noon Business Hour continues.
3: The Russian invasion of Ukraine nearly a year ago has spurred increased demand for military equipment. Let's see how that's impacting defense companies. We're joined by Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Michael, thanks for joining us today a long time ago the united states called itself the arsenal of democracy and it seems like that uh, that old phrase can be brought to bear once again not only for the u.s but uh, for the entirety of nato and western aligned nations in supporting ukraine against the russian invasion which was almost a year ago but that's also means that defense companies have to step up and meet the increased demand
5: yeah, good afternoon, Rob, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, this uh, war in Ukraine certainly has dragged on uh, longer and in more depth than uh, most people had expected. And now you're starting to see nations getting nervous in that area and increasing uh, their defense spending. And then also you have issues in Taiwan where there's a possibility of an attack there. So there's another hotbed of of possible activity, and so you have nations in that uh, war scenario, um, also uh, adding to their defense budget. So you kind of have an arms race here, uh, even before anything actually happens, because a lot of nations, quite frankly, are getting nervous.
3: And uh, at the top of that list is Poland, which has uh, its the expansion plan for its military, some analysts are saying is now jaw-dropping in its scale. And we're talking about 500 uh, multiple uh, l- 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 launch rocket systems, um, heavy artillery pieces, just a, 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 a mobilization or at least a, a, a buildup in uh, military materiel that we have not seen in Europe in decades.
5: Yeah, you have to go back to World War II. I mean, that's how far this goes. I mean, Poland's uh, talking about over doubling their uh, military spending to where they're going to have a military that's you know on par or better than even Germany's. So, and that's just one country. So, it's happening all over the world, especially in the European um theater, but but also in Asia. So, it's, it's a scary thing. I mean, I go back to Einstein's quote that he doesn't know what weapons uh, will be fought in World War III, but World War, War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. So this is kind of scary stuff here, but it, you see it all over the place. It's certainly good for defense stocks, and and uh, there's an ETF you can play. Also, certainly the individual names, but that ETF, it's I-T-A, Ida Tom Alpha and that is at trading at a 52 week high uh based on this news uh we're long uh, in full disclosure uh Raytheon stock in the same uh uh idea where where they make a lot of the defense systems that these nations will need but yeah it's it's uh it's a play that you kind of have to make if you're you know if you're looking for a good investment but it you know on a you know on a just a basis of of uh the world it's a very scary scenario we seem to be To be uh, playing out here,
3: and then uh, on top of the uh, the the additional uh, money, these defense companies uh, will be making from uh, increased orders and contracts. You know there has to be a a research and development cost as well, because for the last uh, 30 years or so, uh, the uh, uh, military strategy has been pivoting away from the idea of tanks racing across Europe. But now we have tanks racing across Europe, and so you probably have to develop new weapon systems to meet this new reality.
5: Yeah, again, that goes back to that Einstein quote. But, yeah, we don't really know how the next form of war is going to be fought. And I don't really want to find out, but unfortunately we may have to. And, uh, you know, you're talking about unmanned weaponry, uh, drones and missiles and and, uh, unmanned aircraft. Uh, you know, which will be a much bigger part of the war than than what we're used to in the past. I mean, I think a tank might be a sitting duck and and probably not a safe place, nor will a battleship be in some of these, uh, in a modern war. But, you know, we'll have to see what happens, but certainly it's good for defense stocks. So, you know, on the investment standpoint, you know, you're trying to make money off of this. Like I said, I gave you the ITA ETF, which is has done very well and and probably will continue to do so as these as these nations ramp up, but um, we'll have to see how it plays out. But but uh, the the newer weapons are it's uh, sc- it's it's scary what they're capable of, and 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 uh, I really don't want to find out what 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 happens. But like I said, in, in Taiwan, this might happen, and uh, if it does, we're going to start seeing w- warfare unlike the world's ever ever known before, and and so. Uh, Let's just hope that that doesn't actually play out.
3: Well, let's leave him smiling. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago.
6: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
0: This is Chicago's news, traffic, and weather station. News Radio 105.9 the WBBM Noon Business Hour
7: continues.
0: Good afternoon,
3: I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. This
7: is Mike Krauser. The long-sought extension of the CTA Red Line to the south inches another step closer.
3: Now, former police officers enter their pleas for the killing of Tyree Nichols in Memphis. In Entrepreneur Friday, we meet the head of a local company that produces an eco-friendly towel using recycled bottles. And with spring on the way, auto dealers are getting ready for a big... Big buying season. WBBM Business. The markets are lower. The Dow is down 56 points. The Nasdaq is down 167. The S&P 500 is down 37. We have 24 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies, going up to a sunny 28 today. It's 12:31. Topping our news at the half hour, the Chicago Plan Commission has heard a presentation about the long-awaited extension of the CTA
7: Red Line. The project, while not yet fully funded, remains years away, but the presentation to the plan commission is one necessary step toward that end to apply for federal funding. The plan includes more than five miles of track and four stations between 95th Street and 130th Street. Amar El Majoub is a strategic planner with the CTA.
0: In addition to the benefits of improved transit access, the Red Line Extension project will also stimulate development around the new stations.
2: Commissioner
7: Mariana Navarra.
2: How gratifying and exciting it is to contemplate writing this inequity finally.
7: Once funded, it's expected that construction would last from 2025 to 2029. Far South Side residents have long complained about the inequity of not having trains, as though the city ends at 95th Street. Mike Krauser, 105.9 WBBM.
3: Five former Memphis police officers have pleaded not guilty to second-degree murder, aggravated assault, kidnapping, and other charges in the arrest and death of Tyree Nichols. All five were fired after an internal investigation into the case. They are due back in court on May 1st. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are in the red today. We're joined by Jeff Kilberg, founder and CEO of KKM Financial based in Chicago. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Us today, the uh, markets obviously have been sagging since the uh, we had a number of uh, economic reports this week that indicated that the inflation fight is far from over. That uh, you had to listen to Fed Chair Jay Powell. That was his message last week. You can't uh, try to work your way around it. And, and is this? Are we seeing now a, a recalibration of expectations by investors? Well,
8: Rob, I think we're seeing a bit of a reaction, and certainly stocks are moving lower this week, just like the temperatures in Chicago have moved lower. And it is a bit of game of cat and mouse. Last week when we did see Fed Chairman Powell come out, We actually interpreted him to be a little bit more dovish, meaning that they were going to relent, that maybe they were going to have a pause or a bit of a a break on the interest rate raising cycle, which has been historic in nature. However, and in contrast, this week we've seen a lot of the Fed presidents. Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin today talked about he's going to support the central bank's plan to continue Raising rates. The markets don't like that. We've seen the 10 year note go from about 3.4% up to about 3.85%. That has been the agent that's cooling stocks right now, but bigger picture, we have seen a rejuvenation of some of the beaten up sectors like technology last year. So there is some cautious optimism. Hang in there, Rob.
3: Well, I mean, it's it's simply it's not a matter of people uh, uh, you know pulling the ripcord and jumping out of the airplane. This is it seems like they're just changing their bet for when the uh, hiking cycle will stop and perhaps how long interest rates will be held uh, before they are cut. They're they're not saying game over, man. Like like the guy in the movie Aliens, uh, they're just kind of re, re, kind of rechanging their expectations.
8: I think that's fair. I think people are trying to recalibrate, but keep in context that the bond market. I started trading bonds in the 1990s the Chicago Board Trade. so I always look for the bond market to provide leadership, no matter what spastically is going on in stocks. The bond market is telling us specifically. Look at the six-month bill, the one-year bill. At 5%, that is telling us that the Fed has done most of their heavy lifting. So I'm more in the camp that we are going to see the Fed move again, 25 base points, and sit on their hands and pause. We've gotten so acclimated and so conditioned, Rob, that we have to have a move here, a move here, and then a month later we have to have a move. This takes time. If you remember the Fed, it took them years to get inflation above 2%. That was their target. That was their goal. They induced this inflation. Now they're trying to tame inflation. So as always, The Fed has moved the pendulum too far to the left, too far to the right. But now we have to really understand that they are going to have to pause. The economy, yes, we've gone through earnings. Yes, it's been better than expected. But the economy is going to catch up with the stock market. The stock market is a forward pricing mechanism, right? We try to understand where prices will be, and that's why we're trading these stocks at these prices all day long. But nonetheless, I think the Fed is going to have to cave. They're going to have to give in. This is a game of chicken, and the bond market is telling them right now to stop, take a pause, take a breath.
3: Interest rates are higher, bond yields are higher. Uh, Where are some money making opportunities to be had in the bond market?
8: Well, if you look at the bond market and fixed income, you know, last year was an absolute anomaly when you saw stocks as well as bonds get obliterated. So this year, as you recalibrate your fixed income, I think you have to look at shortening up some of that duration. Owning U.S. Treasuries. At 5% on a six-month bill or a one-month timeline, one-year timeline, excuse me, that is sexy, Rob. That gives a little bit of sizzle. And you never want to say there's a risk-free trade, but you do feel comfortable with the U.S. Treasury, the full faith of the U.S. government backing that. I think that is a good opportunity. However, on the other side of the risk spectrum, we do like owning semiconductors. We do like owning Tesla here. We do own some of these high beta, really beat-up names. I know a lot of people talk about the dogs of the Dow. That's owning some of the dogs of the Dow from the previous year. This year has been the nasty of the NASDAQ. So if you talk about Biogen, you talk about uh, NVIDIA, you talk about Tesla, some of those names that were possibly oversold, there is opportunity there, but you have to have a stomach for the volatility.
3: Hey Jeff, you have dogs of the Dow. You're the nasty of the Nasdaq. I don't want to know what the S word associated with the S&P 500 is.
8: (laughs) That's the next show.
3: (laughs) Jeff Kilberg, founder and CEO of KKM Financial, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next on Entrepreneur Friday, turning recycled bottles into eco-friendly towels.
0: Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
3: It's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon we're shining the spotlight on a suburban based company that's found another use for recycled plastic bottles. We welcome in Carrie Ferris, founder and CEO of onceagainhome.com based in Lagrange. Carrie, thank you for joining us today and these towels are made out of recycled plastic bottles and this began as a COVID project.
6: Hi,
2: Rob. Thanks again for having me. I really appreciate the time. And yes, they started out as a COVID project. Um I work with factories all around the world and um, had a sample of this towel and started using it in my home really fell in love with it and it was the main reason why I kind of took the next step and created my own brand because I knew other families were going to love it, it just as much.
3: So what what business were you in what was your profession as the uh, COVID-19 pandemic uh, arrived in the United States three years ago and how did you kind of make the uh, the switch from uh, I, I I use this particular material and like it to uh, going into business yourself?
2: Well, it wasn't actually that much of a transition. I've already had my consulting business. I've been at home textiles for a very long time, over 20 years. So um, once I decided that I really wanted to take the next step and develop a product for my own brand, I already had the, the know-how and the experience to do so because I'd been doing it for years for other people and other retailers. Um, so it was really just Kind of taking that step and trusting myself that I was going to be able to fulfill what I felt was needed um, to gather and gain a new customer base and really get the marketing information out.
3: And then, how long did it take for you to uh, to test the product yourself? I mean, you said uh, you encountered this type of uh, recycled materials towel as uh, part of your consulting business. You know, what was the what was it like to make the transition to make it yourself, test the product yourself, and and kind of feel confident that other people would like it?
2: Well, it really wasn't hard at all because I was able to get samples done quite quickly. We relied on a lot of friends and family. Um, we already knew um, what shows and retail, um, retailers we'd want to like present this to. Um, for example, we'll be at the Inspired Home Show at McCormick Place in two weeks. We go to Atlanta show. And so really getting out in front of people for me was a a very quick turnaround, about six months, where for other people it might be a lot longer of a learning process. And everybody has had such a strong reaction. It just reinforced that we were going down the right path and that um, people were really seeing what we had seen in the product.
3: This began uh, at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, and then uh, the the, the economic disruption and the shutdowns and everything kind of slowing down. uh, Was that beneficial in terms of getting this off? off the ground and that you had a little more time to test it out and have other people try it out and b- before you, you sent it out into the retail world?
2: I, yeah, I do believe so. Um, I was, you know, a bit nervous about my other um, part of the business, although it became incredibly busy as well at the same time. Um, but it really kind of gave me this opportunity to just really take another look at what I was doing in whole and totality and um, going after something that um, was more personal to me and really made a, a difference in people's lives. So What we're trying to do is get people to use less paper towels, less paper products by using our towels, some of our sponges, napkins as a replacement. And our products will last for years as opposed to a quick disposable pay-per-use. So not only are they made from recycled materials, but they help families be much more sustainable in their homes.
3: And then as far as sourcing is concerned, where do you get these recycled materials? Is there, is there like a central clearinghouse where you say, look, I need X number of bottles to, uh, to, to make these, uh, these, these towels out of plastic fibers?
2: So, all of our towels are made overseas. Um, The whole production process happens, you know, in that place itself. And we have to go through certifications to ensure to our customers that there's transparency, that they know that our product is made from, in fact, recycled bottles. Um, It's really important in this day and age that the customer really wants to understand and know where the products are coming from, how they're made who's making them, how this is all coming together. So all of our, pack- all of our products um, not only have our women-owned business um, certifications, but they have an OcoTex, and they have a global recycled standard. All of these ensure that the customer then knows the- all the um, correct um, ways of doing things were um, taken into account when making the product that they'll put in their own home.
3: Kerry Ferris, founder and CEO of OnceAgainHome.com, based in LaGrange. Thank you for joining us today. And still to come, a preview of the spring car buying season.
0: Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
3: The Chicago Auto Show wraps up on Monday. It's put a lot of people in the buying mood. Let's talk about spring car buying with Jeff Gilbert, CBS News Automotive correspondent, based in Detroit. Jeff, thank you for joining us once again this afternoon. Uh, if people are in the mood to buy a car, what will they expect when they get to the dealer?
9: Inventories will be a little bit better, but certainly not back to pre-pandemic levels. Saying you know the chip crisis is getting better, but there's still bumps here and there on the road. But but inventories are slightly better. Uh, you're not going to find empty dealer lots but you're also not going to find any deep incentives as well because there's still a lot of pent-up demand to be played
3: out. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, uh, not too long ago, it seemed like the car dealer uh, held all of the cards, uh, yours too. Uh, d- does th- does you Do you as the customer have uh, any uh, negotiating leverage here?
9: You have a little bit, but not a whole lot. Now, a lot of experts are saying maybe later in the year when some of this pent-up demand is played out, We'll have to start seeing some incentives, but don't expect much for the spring shopping season.
3: And then uh, what is the state of the used car market? Because the, the dealers were having such a hard time getting new car inventory. Uh, used cars uh, were a hot commodity, and uh, you were getting—you uh, could potentially get well above the, uh, the Kelly Blue Book value for uh, your used car. Is that still the case?
9: Right. Now, that has calmed down a little bit. I mean, you're, you're still going to get more for a used car than you got before, and you're still going to pay more for a used car. But the crazy increase in values is over. Still, again, all prices are up. I mean, new car prices are up about 30 percent over the past couple of years. Used car prices up as well, but not that much
3: and and then do the uh, automakers have an incentive to uh, meet that demand because we talked about how they were you were kind of uh, muddling through the the chip crisis and the supply chain issues but they are making fewer cars but they're they're making more money on them uh, so do they just do they, do they have to do they have an incentive to slow roll the uh, increase in production
9: it's not so much a slow rolling of the increase in production. The auto industry has always tried to have, like, maybe one or two cars less in demand so they don't have to put on on deep discounts. And, and sometimes they miss, and that's why you've seen such big incentives. So right now they're going to flex back as carefully as they can, but still – They prioritize production of the vehicles that are going to make them the most profit. So, you know, if you want to buy a big pickup truck, you're going to be in pretty good shape. If you want to buy a small car, it may be, uh, you know, a a little bit tighter. And if you want to buy a brand new product that's just out there, you're probably going to have to wait a while.
3: You know what's surprising to me is that uh, just looking through the amount of models that are available is that uh, the Detroit 3 especially have gotten uh, lean and mean when it comes to uh, the amount of models. That are just available to you. It used to be uh, GM just had a whole array of different types of 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 models and shapes and sizes uh, to, to meet a variety of needs. And now it's that that list of uh, choices has gotten considerably smaller.
9: Well, you know, that is the dark side of the uh, fuel economy compromise about a decade ago where car companies agreed to tighter fuel economy standards, but they changed how the rules were developed, and they no longer got bonuses for building small cars. So those small cars, which were before seen as lost leaders, became seen as losers and they were eliminated. So now pretty much everything has to carry its own weight, and if a car company can't make a profit on it, there's no incentive for them to build it.
3: Bring back the Buick Skylark. Jeff Gilbert, CBS News Automotive reporter based in Detroit. Thank you for joining us today. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.